Hello, this is Dr. Ed Hill, the host of This Week in the Word, where we grow in our knowledge of the Word of God and our walk with Christ. I'm glad you've decided to join us today on this podcast episode of This Week in the Word. And the title of the message today is Hope for Hard Times. It's episode 17, and the title is Michael Jordan Has a Coach. It's the episode for Sunday, October 29th, 2023. Did you know that Michael Jordan had a coach? He had lots of coaches, actually, and he still has a coach. Did you know that? Michael Jordan is considered the greatest earning athlete of all time so far. It's estimated recently that his net worth is about $3 billion, with a B, $3 billion. No one's even close to that. You know who Michael Jordan's first coach was? His mom. When he got cut from making the varsity team at his high school, basically his mom, as his coach, told him, you need to get better, which he did. Of course, he made that team eventually. Then he went on to the University of North Carolina, the Tar Heels. Dean Smith was his college coach there. Then he went into the pros, the Chicago Bulls he played for. Phil Jackson was his coach. And I bet you've even heard of his coach named Curtis Polk. Got you on that one, didn't I? <laughs> you're saying right now, Pastor Ed, you're just making that up. Michael Jordan never had a coach named Curtis Polk. Oh, yes, he did. And yes, he does. Who is Curtis Polk? Curtis Polk is the executive vice president of SFX Entertainment and a mega sports agent. And in a March 9, 2023 article in Essentially Sports, the writer K.S. Rowett writes this, Polk was Michael Jordan's business guy, and he played a vital role in helping him build his business empire. Jordan has a net worth of, at the time of the article, $2.1 billion, and a significant portion of that wealth comes from his business ventures. Jordan, the owner of the Charlotte Hornets and 2311 Racing, has partnerships with Nike and Gatorade and has his own brand, the Jordan brand. All of these ventures have been successful thanks in part to Polk's guidance. Polk counseled Jordan successfully and progressing the Jordan-Nike brand beyond Jordan's playing career, and the brand has tripled in value since then. Now, right about now, some of you are saying, yeah, man, but he had talent, and that's why he succeeded. Hey, I want to tell you, I've been around a while. I don't know how long you've been here, but I've been here a while. And I'm here to tell you that life's highway is strewn with the wreckage of talented athletes who are down and out today. You know what they needed? They needed a coach. And they either didn't have the opportunity to have a, a real coach in life, or they waved that coach off. Hey, I don't need you. And they made all the wrong decisions and have ended up in a very difficult position in life. Well, you know what? I'm not here today to talk about Michael Jordan 
but that is a great example. Even someone as talented as he is, as smart as he is, and as business-minded as he is, he even gets the counsel of someone to help him reach the goals that he has. And I think it's also true that every Christian needs a coach. I don't know if you've ever thought of it like that. And you know what? God thought of it, even if you haven't. God has given us pastors in the church. Think of them as your coach in hard times, especially if you start going through suffering and persecution, as we've been hearing about in the book of First Peter. You can listen to some of the previous episodes if this is your first time, and you'll see that theme that Peter writes about in this letter. Now, I'm podcasting this on Sunday, October 29th, 2023, and I'm in 1 Peter 5. And you know what? It's simply spiritual serendipity that this is also Pastor Appreciation Month. Isn't that cool? (laughs) If your pastor loves and lives the Word of God and loves you as a part of his flock, then thank God for him and let him know. I was blessed in growing up and uh, coming of age as a Christian with pastors such as Knapp Grenade, Bob Zabinden, Tommy Henschel, and Frank Wilkerson. And they all played a major role in my life. Each of them played a very important role in my coming to faith and my growth in discipleship and service. And I say to them, thank you one and all, amen. And I hope you will say that as well to your pastor, not only in October, but many, many times throughout every year that you are blessed by their ministry. But I think that we could even think of them sort of as our spiritual coaches. You know, too often people in churches, and it's really just a a small uh, negative percentage, but they sure are loud sometimes, Too often, people have the attitude in church, Lord, you keep him humble and we'll keep him poor. You know, that's a terrible attitude towards your pastor. That's a disrespectful attitude. And if you're in a church where you're following someone in that pattern, you need to challenge them. Maybe read to them 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through 7. You definitely don't need to copy that attitude. Pastors, if you start going through it, can be your best friends and best encouragers. Now, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, that we've already seen, we saw Peter mention something about the fiery trial that these uh, listeners that he wrote to were going through. They were already experiencing this to some degree, and it probably would get worse. Well, when that fiery trial that was mentioned in 1 Peter 4.12 ends up where we are suffering for our faith and even being persecuted for Christ, then we benefit by our pastors 
leading us by example. Think of your pastor as a spiritual coach who's with you in the struggle. He's like a military commander who's with you in the battle. Think of it that way. But when we need an example during these times, pastors are great examples. And if you don't think yours would be, find another pastor. That's what I would say. You know, seek God's direction and wisdom to be led by someone that you know would be with you in the suffering and with you in persecution. You know, a very common pattern when a nation is attacked by the communists in that nation or they are attacked by other groups, uh, different faiths that are attacking people all over the world, very commonly pastors are some of the first people sought out to be either imprisoned or killed. Right now, around the world, in the suffering church, across the world, many pastors are in prison right now. And they are examples to those who may follow after them in suffering and persecution. Many of them have been in and out of prison and in and out of torture many times in their lives. And they are certainly examples to the flock. So I want you to begin to think of your pastors kind of like a coach who's with you in that struggle. Now, if you don't want to think of it in that terms, that's okay with me. I'm just trying to help you look at this a little differently maybe than you ever have before. And as we have said, if someone with the talent and the success of Michael Jordan knows he needs a coach, I'm pretty sure you do as well, and I do as well. So let's go to 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through 7. We'll start in verse 1. Always a great place to start. The elders which are among you I exhort who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. So he's addressing a certain group here in the church, and they are the elders. Now, this is from a Greek word that originally meant someone who was uh, like a senior citizen, an older man, but over time, uh, within the church for certain, it began to have the meaning of one who was uh, senior in respect to others, who was worthy of respect because of their example and wisdom. So he's talking here about the pastors. That's what elders are in the Christian church the elders which are among you. So an interesting thing here. Notice here that these, these elders, these pastors, didn't live in a monastery somewhere. They lived among the people. 
the elders which are among you I exhort. So he's, he's beseeching them. He's urging them. He's encouraging them. It's not too strong to say that he's begging them. Now, one thing he's not doing is commanding them. But he, he urges them, invites them, begs them to do something. So what is he going to do? With the elders which are among you, I exhort, who am also an elder. Now, right now, if you're a pretty good Bible student, you're thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is Peter the disciple, right? That's right. And after the resurrection and ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ, he was an apostle, right? That's right. Not only just an apostle, he was considered the leader of the apostles. So how can he call himself an elder? Here's why. The apostles, though they were the hand-picked representatives to speak and write on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ with his power and authority. They wrote scripture under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, even though that's true and that was true of Peter. Peter still understood that he was, he was a servant. You, you get that idea, that concept? That he says, who am also an elder? Well, what does that imply? That he did not um, like lead them by force. He considered himself, in, in that sense, equal with them. The elders which are among you, I exhort, who am also an elder. So he's not pulling rank on them. That's how people would say it in the military. He's appealing to them as someone who does the same work and has the same type of ministry in the church, although it may be broader than theirs might be. The elders which are among you, I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and that refers no doubt to the to the betrayal, the, the trials, the crucifixion and death of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he saw that. Now, it doesn't seem like he was right at the cross, but I was thinking about this the other day. That doesn't mean that he wasn't somewhere nearby. It seems like and someone is free to point out where I'm wrong, but it seems to me like it appears like only the Apostle John was actually at the cross with the, his mother and the other women. So Peter doesn't appear to have been right at the foot of the cross, but he may have seen all this from a distance. At any rate, we know that he saw the betrayal and the uh, trials, the, the torture, basically the Lord Jesus Christ was subjected to, and, and he had a good grasp on how the Lord Jesus Christ suffered, not for his sin, he had no sin, he suffered for us, for our sin, that we might be forgiven. So he says, the elders which are among you, I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness, of the sufferings of Christ, 
and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. I think this may refer to what he's going to talk about more in Second Peter on the Mount of Transfiguration when the, the Lord was, uh, his actual glory as God would, was displayed on the Mount of Transfiguration during his earthly ministry. Peter and James and John saw that. And that must have been a, a, a mind-expanding experience to see Christ in his glory. Well, that same Christ and that same glory is coming back, right? But he's gotten a little glimpse of that, right? And it's interesting here, a little sub-theme may be, listen, our Lord Jesus Christ went through not only spiritual suffering, but physical suffering as well. But I've also seen his glory in advance. And we may go through suffering uh, with him, of course, on his behalf. We don't go through it alone. He's with us, all right? But we do that on his behalf. And we need to be reminded that no matter what we may be called upon to go through, it's nothing compared to his glory and our, uh, our seeing him in his glory and sharing in his kingdom with him. So no matter how bad it gets on earth, a better, better, far better day is ahead for every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's reread the whole verse. The elders which are among you, I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. And what is, it, what is he saying now? What's he exhorting them about? Well, we see it in verse two. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Now, what does this mean? Well, he's, he's urging them, he's beseeching them to, to do number two, verse two. Feed the flock of God, which is among you. That word feed is a Greek word where we get our English word shepherd from. And when someone shepherds, the flock of God, they obviously feed the flock. You know, think of actual sheep. You would feed the sheep. You would guide them. You would protect them from their enemies. You would just take care of them, right? Feed the flock of God. And by the way, when a pastor talks about his church, it's just a saying, but we all know in our heart and we should remember, remember this verbally a lot more. You know, I don't have a church. A pastor doesn't have a church. It's not his church. He serves it, but guess whose church it is? It's the flock of God. And that means that the pastor has a major responsibility, a major accountability to God for how he feeds the flock of God, which is among you. We, we just saw that. So he's not distant from them. He's part of them. And he says, feed the flock of God, which is among you, taking the oversight thereof. 
Now, what does that mean? Well, this is where we get our English word, Episcopal. That means an overseer over, uh, over someone. Feed the flock of God, which is among you, taking the oversight thereof. That is to, to watch over, to take oversight is literally what it means, to watch over this flock of God. Now, here's an interesting thing. The word elder, the word shepherd, where, where it says feed the flock of God. So the word elder, shepherd, and bishop, they're not different offices in the church. Notice it's these three different English words from three different Greek words describe who a pastor is and what he does. So the idea that there's a bishop over a bunch of pastors, that's just something that, that people made up. A bishop is a pastor. A bishop is an elder. An elder is a bishop. An elder is a pastor. A pastor is an elder and a bishop. It's three different Greek terms and three different English terms from those terms that describe the same man and his same ministry, different aspects of his ministry. So Peter's talking about the pastors of this church. So feed the flock of God. And now notice, by the way, in verse one in chapter five, he, he talks about many elders. So Really, the Bible model is each church has more than one elder. So he says there that they are to feed the flock of God, which is among you, taking the oversight thereof. Now, how are they to do this? Because Peter ordered them to do it? No, they're to do it not by constraint. This, this means they are not to do it because they are forced to do it. Have you ever seen someone in the ministry that their mama wanted in the ministry, but they really never had a heart for it? They don't really want to be in it. They don't really like it. And if there was a graceful way to get out of it, they would. That's not a person who's doing it willingly. But a pastor should do this because he wants to do this because of his love for the Lord and his love for the Lord's people. And even says, not by constraint, that is like not by being forced to do it, but willingly. There's a, a zealousness, a, an eagerness to perform pastoral ministry. I may even be teaching right now to pastors who may be listening. You know what? If you're not approaching the ministry that you're in that way, ask God to renew you, fill you, and use you by the power of his Holy Spirit and give you a fresh start and a fresh love for the sheep and the church that God has given you to pastor. Now, if you say to me, well, I don't really, I've never really felt that way, or I did once, but for the last 45 years, I haven't. I do this 
because it's my job and I'm near retirement. May I humbly say to you that you need to step out of that position. You are not the right person in the right place doing the right thing. And it's okay if you just realize that, that you went down a path you, you should not have gone down. Maybe God did not lead you down that path. Maybe you did it because your family thought you should or someone thought you should, but it's not where you belong. You need to do the right thing. But if you know you're where you should be, but you've grown cold, ask the Holy Spirit to to do a new work in you and give you a fresh start. Your church needs it. The flock you serve deserves that. So a pastor is not to do it by constraint because he's forced to do it, but because he's he can't wait to do it. He's happy to do it. He's eager to do it. Now, another non-motivation should be money. I know that we all have to earn income and we're all commanded to work. I get that. But that should not be why you do what you do in the church. Not for filthy lucre. And that's a uh, unusual English way of saying not for money, like not for sordid gain, you know, anything for a dollar, that kind of thing. Not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. You just, like we we said, you not only want to do it, but you, you, you can't wait to do it. You're willing and eager to do it. So the elders which are among you, I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. So let me add before we leave that verse, it doesn't mean that a pastor is not to be supported. Uh, it's, it's very biblical to take care of a good pastor. Uh, even those who labor in the word and doctrine, the Bible says, are worthy of double honor. And that's talking about money. Double pay is what that's talking about. But that should not be the motivation for why a pastor does it, but definitely take care of good pastors. That's your job as a church member. Verse three, here's an easy trap for a church pastor to fall into. Neither is being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. So another trap is where a pastor begins to think he's all that and a bag of chips. It's an old saying. That just means he's full of himself. That uh, I don't like these people. I'm going to make them do everything I want them to do. They're going to serve me. Oh, that is so foreign to being a pastor. Neither is being lords over God's heritage. This is like being a, a church bully. If you've ever seen a pastor like that, it is a, it is a horrible sight. And the church suffers greatly under that 
thankfully, it's pretty rare in real churches. And even if a real church, a good church, found that to begin to be the case in such a situation, they would know from the Word of God how to deal with it. You don't just tolerate that. But this is written to the pastors themselves. You know, pastor, if you're listening, <coughs> let me ask you. And by the way, you should, you should ask your question, where do I get off telling you anything? Well, you may not know it, but I was a pastor in Southern Baptist churches for about 30 years. Most of that time, I was a full-time pastor, the, the vast bulk of that, but for a while at the end, I was a bivocational pastor. So I've, I've done it both ways. And I've been in more than one church. And for the most part, most of all of my churches were fantastic to me. But if you are, are being a, um, <laughs> like an overlord over God's people, bullying them uh, like a despot, a tyrant over your church, you need to repent or you need to resign. That is not a biblical model. Neither is being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. This is the idea that a pastor, you know, should not be these things that are negative, but he should be a positive example. It's the picture of a, a pattern that is, let's say, struck into metal, like with a, a template or a blow, and maybe, maybe what isn't looking like the pattern is cut away somehow. I don't know a lot about that. Is this having a pattern to work from? That, that pattern that works is to be copied and passed on to others. Neither is being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. You need to set the right example as a pastor. And churches, you need pastors who set the right examples that you can follow, you can copy, you can shamelessly imitate. That's the whole point of this. It's a pattern that's to be duplicated by others. The pastor, you know, knows the way, shows the way, and goes the way, and his church can follow him. That's, that's what he is to be spiritually and in every other way as well. Now, is there any pastor in the world who's perfect? No. I've seen some who thought they were, but they were mistaken. <laughs> no pastor's perfect. So church, don't be hard on a pastor that you know is trying to serve you in the Lord's power, and he may even make a bad decision or a mistake. If at all possible, keep working with him and help him. Don't criticize and judge. Now, if it's something that needs to be confronted, that's, that's a different matter. But we're just saying, don't expect absolute perfection from your pastor. You know why? Because then you couldn't identify him with him because you're not perfect. No pastor is, even the best pastors among us. But you know, a really great pastor with the Lord's help, sets the right example, according to Scripture, that his sheep, his church, 
can copy and follow. That's the whole point there. Verse 4. Now, why should a pastor go to all of this effort and extent? Oh, uh, I got an answer for that. It's right here in the Bible. Verse 4. And when the chief shepherd, who might that be? That would be the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the chief shepherd. He's the one we answer to. He is our ultimate perfect example. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. This is a a crown of victory, a Stephanos, that doesn't fade like the, uh, the crowns in the Olympic Games were uh, you know, laurel wreaths or something like that. They lasted a little while and then they dried up and, you know, fell apart. <laughs> Pastors who serve the Lord Jesus Christ faithfully by serving his church faithfully, when the chief shepherd shall appear at the rapture of the church and then there's the judgment seat of Christ where the rewards are handed out, these pastors are going to receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. I don't know everything this means, but it seems to imply that they will be recognized for this by the Lord Jesus Christ in heaven. And apparently it doesn't end. (laughs) When you're a faithful pastor, it's worth it. Even if we don't know all the details of how the Lord will reward that. So keep on keeping on. And if you have one like that, encourage him and pray for him. Don't have roast preacher for lunch. You know what I'm talking about. If there's something that's, that's that bad, you need to talk with the pastor. And if it's just your preference, get over yourself, all right? You'll do everybody a favor. Verse 5, likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. So there may have been younger pastors and certainly younger people and especially younger men in the church. You know, one thing about being young, when you don't have a lot of life experience, is you think early on you've got it all figured out. Later in life, you realize what an idiot you were, that you didn't even understand the questions when you were young. And you began to realize (laughs) that finally, after life has progressed some, you finally, finally started to gain some wisdom. You know, listen, within the church, especially with church pastors, but in general, in the church, you know, just normal church life, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elders. A a good idea. Now, just because somebody's old doesn't mean they're wise. There are some people who are just old and foolish. But when you find somebody who's older and they're biblically wise, they love the Lord, you know, just kind of button up and listen more because it's going to do you good. It's going to help you. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject. This means to line oneself up under, 
like a, a private lines himself up and rank under a sergeant. Doesn't mean the sergeant's better. It means that the, the younger, in this case, is going to follow the older. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. This literally has the picture in Greek of like putting on clothing and the clothing is that you're putting on is being humble, having a humble mind, a humble mindset. There's nothing within the church that's more irritating than when you and I are full of ourselves. Now, we are supposed to be full, but it's full of the Holy Spirit, full of Christ, not ourselves. When, when you have a church where a prominent person or a group or even a lot of people are full of themselves, and not full of the Lord, you're gonna have war in that church. Don't do that. Because it will, it will harm the church that belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisted the proud. This is the idea in Greek is this is what he always does. Every time he lines himself up against the proud. Like, well, I will never follow the pastor I have. Well, either he needs to be confronted from the Bible, if it's a, like a sin issue, or you need to get in another church with a pastor you can follow, or you need to get over yourself and repent. But the idea that you would stay in a church just to create trouble, oh no, that's not allowed. And you will pay for that when Christ comes. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. God will give you the what you need to be the right kind of Christian, the right kind of church member, and to serve with your pastor the right way and not work against your pastor. Verse six, humble yourselves, therefore. That is, as we read this, this is our responsibility to do this. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. You know what? If you think, well, I know that I'm right, and I know that I know that I know that I'm right, if you have the right attitude and you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, what's right will come to light at the right time. But you don't have to create war in your church. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. The word here, casting, means like just, just throw all your anxieties upon him. That who? Upon the Lord, for he careth. He takes special concern for you. And if you're going through suffering or persecution, 
You need a good relationship with your pastor and with your church and to be walking in fellowship with, with them and with the Lord. And you will have people helping you and encouraging you when you are going through hard times. I hope this has been insightful for you today and has helped you and will be a blessing to you in your understanding of the church and pastors and how are you how pastors are to serve and how you're to serve with them. Thank you for listening. I'll be back if I'm still here. That is, I don't die my personal death or the rapture doesn't happen first. I'll be back next week with episode 18 of Hope for Hard Times. If you've never done it before, like like this episode. You can do that today and share it with someone. But if you've never done this before, follow the podcast and you'll get a notification every week when the next episode is posted. If you have spiritual questions about your relationship with Christ or how to grow in the Christian faith, call this number, 888-388-2683. One more time, 888-388-2683. Thanks so much. I'll be back next week. Bye-bye.